Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number four of the Hunting Collective. I am Ben O'Brien, coming to you from a table at my house in Austin, Texas, with a beer in hand. And a phone in front of me. Today we are calling the great and powerful, the one and only, John Dudley. I wish John was here. He was supposed to be here, but he couldn't. At the last minute, something came up. So I just gave him a call, and we did it that way. Why should you want to listen to John Dudley? Well, the reasons are many. John is a technical expert in archery. He's an accomplished pro in the target world he's a top level coach internationally and he's one of the best bow hunters you'll ever meet beyond that he's just a good guy he's somebody you can have a beer with he's somebody you can shoot hoops with he's somebody you can hang out on the back porch and just laugh your ass off he's one of my favorite people in the industry along with his wife Sharon his son little dud I mean the whole family uh, is somebody you want to meet, you want to run into at a party. So I think that's always important. I think those things are are sometimes lost in these types of podcasts, but John Dudley's my friend. I love him, and I hope you love him too. Unfortunately for you guys, we didn't talk too much about the technical specs of archery. We talked about values and influence and our roles in the industry and outside of the industry, and of course, the grand conversation of the grip and grin. So hopefully you enjoy episode Number four. Here's John Dudley. John Dudley. What's happening? What are you doing, man? I am dedicating time and energy to what matters, and that is the Hunting Collective. Oh my gosh. He said the name. He said the name of the podcast right off the bat. That's a win. That's already a win. A couple of these podcasts, I have asked the guest to describe where we are, but unfortunately... We are not together. 
I am in a room at my house with a bar drinking a Corona. You are at your home in Iowa. In a bar. <laughs> in a bar. You in a bar. <laughs> yes. 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 I literally just. It, it was almost like a game of operation, but I put a three bar chunk of ice cubes into my Yeti 20 ounce without making a noise. So pretty sure I get to go to uh, level two for being able to do that. <laughs> you're, you're already on level two for sure. Well, at least in the, in the, in the general sense, we're in the same place that, which is a place with beer here late at night on a Monday evening that I like, I would much rather be with you in Iowa, but in the absence of that, this will do. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. I told you before we started recording that I wanted to ask you some tough questions. Um, and so let's do that. I think um, my experience in bow hunting has been pretty pretty gnarly. I mean, I've had more failures than I can count, both when I was a kid and then coming into my more formative years. And then even since you and I have been working together, since you been showing me what how really it is done i've had more failures than i can think of both in the backyard and in while hunting and then over the place and so it always strikes me that you know bow hunting for the us regular folks is like a game of failure like you're just trying to mitigate the amount of failure that you have um and so and i don't know that i've you know i've had a lot of people say about social media and, and our hunting industry that we don't highlight that failure quite enough. Um, so I guess my first question is, do you agree with that, uh, that we don't highlight the failures enough or is there a better way to subscribe to that idea? Dang dude, that's a cool question. I actually really appreciate that one. Um, I appreciate it more than probably what you would, would know because one of the things that I really disliked about being on TV was the parameters that the TV network put around certain people that changed their beliefs and outlooks on the whole hunting community. And I really felt like a lot of the things that I believed in some of the values and then also I don't know just some of the things that I felt like I was most passionate about in relation to not only hunting but also just being a a bow hunter and an archer I actually had to change those because it was part of the guidelines to being on a network and over the course of the six years that I was on they slowly like kind of bent rules like you know they told me well you can't do an educational segment for three full minutes that's too long and then it got to the point where it's like well how many more educational segments can you do and it was also like well we can't have a show that doesn't show success or you can't show a shot that way because it's not necessarily ethical. But 
reality was if I showed something that was real, I showed it as it was real because I wanted to teach people the importance of real hunting. And there's some people that show show certain aspects of a hunt and then they kind of, they almost narrate around it because they're trying to necessarily come up with an excuse. You know, I don't, I'm sure you're following me, but some people may not be following me, but it's hard to say it without throwing people under the bus. But there's times when bad shots happen, and then instead of educating people on if a bad shot happens, this is what you need to do, they try to make an excuse of, you know, it wasn't really a bad shot, it just looked bad, or... You know, they try to cover it up. But the same is true when it comes to an unsuccessful hunt. You know, I just came out with a, a short film that I did with um, Andy, who's a first-time bow hunter. And I think it was a really cool film because we had a tough hunt in France. But the reality is we didn't have we didn't have a kill. We didn't have, you know, in many people's eyes, we didn't have success. And I've got to the point where I feel like because of social media, I have this expectation that I'm always successful. But the truth is, I'm not. And I'm one of the people that I actually I actually like to show people when I miss. I like to show people, um, you know, I remember, and it's funny, there's like so many different subjects with this topic. It's a good topic. Yeah. Um, I remember one time I had a moose hunt um, in BC. And I showed it, and the only shot I had it was it was a legal bull, but it was you know a, it was a small bull, you know, barely legal, but it was a legal bull, and I was super jacked because. They had had a few tough seasons up there in BC. The first year I went, the only opening I could get up there was later in the season, so I knew the chances were pretty low as a bow hunter. As a rifle hunter, I could have filled the tag, but not as a bow hunter. Um, and then the next year, it was uh, we got rain for. I was on a I was on an eight day hunt, and we got rain for all eight days never saw anything so this was my third year going back fifth day in so by this point i was almost two full weeks into a into a moose hunt and a legal bull came in and my you know we were it was like one in the afternoon we had been there since morning we were calling and all of a sudden this bull just came in quiet and he came in we were actually uh in this little tree stand that we made uh, in between some pine trees, kind of built a little platform. And this bull comes in and gives me a, a pretty good shot um, at a range I was definitely comfortable with, but then he all of a sudden started to get a smell of us, so he turned and started to quarter away, and he quartered pretty hard. And I made... I made a shot that I was comfortable with, but on camera it was a little bit far back. And people were upset with the shot, and the network was trying, 
the network tried to tell me not to show the shop, but in reality is I wanted to show the shop because it was, it was truthful to hunting. It was someone that had gone three years without a shot and the shot presented itself. I made a shot and I rec- the, the, I recovered the animal right away and I was truthful about the fact that it was not a desirable shot, but it happened. And I think that stuff is really, really needed in our industry. And I think that when a shot's made poorly, like, well, when you and I hunted together, um, I had gone the whole year with making great shots. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, when you and I were together, that was a buck that I really wanted. He came in, and I mean, you were there, came straight to us. I drew back before he got to us because I knew I'd never get drawn when he was under us. And then literally stopped behind that tree waiting on that doe. And I mean, I don't even know how long I was at full draw, but then literally as soon as he turned, I didn't know he'd turn to run, but as soon as he turned to give me the shot, I shot and he turned and was kind of starting to go. So I hit him a little bit far back. And even though we assumed that he was trackable and expired, I was totally not willing myself to risk it. So I didn't. And, you know, we talked about that on camera. You and I even had the discussion. You're like, I think you should go. And I said, I don't know, man. I mean... I know you think I should, but I think deep down I shouldn't. And as hunters, success, no success, when to track, when not to track, those are true, those are 100% true backbone elements to our, to to bow hunting or hunting. Social media and TV have changed. I mean, I know that was a long way to get back to your question, but social media have changed those two true elements to our sport, and it's it's unfortunate. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Because it's necessary. Well, there's it's, there's two ways to think about it, right? I mean, you're talking about success and failure in both macro and micro elements, right? Like the macro element, where did that arrow land on that animal? Was it a 10 out of 10 or was it an 8 out of 10 as far as the effectiveness to kill that animal? And then success in all the other decisions you made afterwards and really all the decisions you made before. And how do you depict all those things when you're being asked to to synthesize it down into a smaller package? Or even in the case of like an Insta story on social media, being able to like show it in little snippets when everyone knows it's not, you know, that's not happening live. You can still distill it and decide what to show and what not to show. So you're right. I mean, I think when you're talking about the ethics of telling the story inside of its success or failure, it's really hard to decide how to do that and what's effective. And I'm not sure that if you just, if everyone just, stuck a live camera on their bow and started posting posting those things to social media that that would be good either um because everybody has different motivations for doing certain things and you know sometimes editing is helpful so you know i think that that question of 
where did that arrow land? How did it get there? But then immediately after, what did you do is an important one for hunters. And how many times, you know, did you illustrate that when you were, you know, on the Outdoor Channel or Sportsman's Channel? How many times were you able, both with the amount of time you had to discuss those topics um, or, the, like you said, the restrictions that, were, that was put on you by the network? Yeah, well, I can't agree more, man. There's no question. There's no question... As good as it, as good as social media is, a, I don't know, it's an enabler, but it's a hindrance at the same time. I guess that's like a lot of things in life, but, you know, one of the cool things about social media for me is that social media actually gives me the ability to show truth, and especially live feeds. Um... I've told this to I've told this to a few friends. I told it to to Rogan. I said because Joe, you know, Joe is he's the perfect example of a new bow hunter because he's really thirsty to like soak everything in. Whereas you and I, we've been around a long time to where we almost when some people start to talk, we almost like this like freaking shield goes up like okay we've heard this guy a hundred times um you know we kind of we already have these whether it's good or bad we have these automatic filters that kind of shoot up because you know been there done that type thing whereas joe's like he's a new bow hunter he's third like he wants to hear it all and then he goes to people he respects and says hey did you see this what do you think about it and he's watched a few live feeds where he's like, dude, have you heard this guy? I mean, this guy seems like nonsense. And I say, hey, this is where for me, network TV and live, they separate the cream of the crop. Like, it feeds into my wheelhouse because... I try to only talk about things that I feel like I have the ability to educate in and and a comfort level to where I can either do it live or I'm not going to do it. Whereas some people, they want to have this image or a portrayal of who they are or what they can do, but the reality is when they're live, they may not be able to do that. So there's... There's yin and yang with social media, but and it's in the same sense and on the same, I guess, uh, wavelength of what I think you're trying to do with your podcast is it's also powerful for the message of hunting, but likewise, it can instantly destroy it. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's... I mean, it's a great it conversation. It really, really is. It is a power. I mean, we literally have this tool. You know, we we have the ring right now, right? We've got the ring of power. I mean, live social media is freaking. We've got Gollum's ring in our hand, and it's like, okay, some of these freaking humans can put this sucker on and just tear shit up and some of them can put it on and just 
literally suppress most of the negativity that's destroying our in- industry. But it's the, the sad part about it, or the scary part about it, not necessarily the sad part, but the scary part about it is there's no filter to who grabbed that sucker. Like, everybody has the ring. And someone can instantly do something that destroys our industry or crumbles a company or, you know, absolutely pummels a company's sales. I mean, there's a lot of different things that can happen. Or you can have someone that portrays themselves in a fashion to where it genuinely sparks interest to what the hell are these guys doing? Like, these guys are passionate. They're freaking going out. They're working. They're, they're like, they're totally investing sweat equity into this thing that they're passionate about, and then they're consuming it, and they've got, like, the purest, the literally the purest of fuel there is, and they're freaking just, like, rampaging about it. So it's a, it's a, it's a really, really, it is a complex double-edged sword, man. Yeah, yeah and that makes it a tough topic to even, to even try to simplify into, you know, whatever hour or two hours that we have to talk here. I mean, it's, it's, you could start with the great point that you made. Everyone has the power, right? So everyone that is listening to this or um, that has the ability to, you know, plug their basic information into some forms on the internet suddenly can amass a following for whatever reason those people desire to follow that person and then they can exert influence based on that following and that is a crazy idea and a, you know a great example is is Rogan I mean Joe Rogan has been I don't know what how you would qualify but I would say he's been the biggest influence on hunting that I've seen since I've been alive um yeah well I mean on different levels I would say I would say Bill Jordan yeah, was one yeah. two decades ago, and I would say Joe Rogan is a completely different like form of that. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I came up, I came up on on Bill Jordan, and he was just like this window into hunting that no one else had, right? I mean, there wasn't that many voices whenever Real Tree Monster Bucks was coming out. I mean, you had a few DVDs here or there or a few magazines you could subscribe to, but there was just a limited number of voices, which, you know, was good and bad. It made it easier to stand out, but it made it more important to be respectable and respected. Um, Now we have all these voices, as we've said. There's millions of voices out there talking about hunting, and it's that much harder to be, you know, in that ball of noise to stand out and be heard. And when somebody like Joe steps into the arena with that powerful uh, following already and starts to just evolve his passion for bow hunting the way he has in the public eye, I mean, it's been a great story to watch that. So, you know, I think what you can do specifically with Knock On and your and your knowledge is all good. And, you know, another question I was thinking about on the drive home from work for you was like, how do you take your knowledge and the things that you know about archery? You won't have to list off your resume, but... Hopefully everyone listening kind of knows. How do you take your knowledge and distill it and get it out there um, as effectively as somebody who may have, you know, have a negative slant for hunting? Well, 
really know the right way to answer that. I know, I guess, you know, there are two things that were important to talk about there. One was Joe has been very, very fortunate to where he came across some very, very good people right away to where, I mean, between Ranella, Cam, you, Remy, me, I mean, he came across some people that were the right people to where when he got into this, he saw all the sides that are the right sides for having true compelling argument to the opposite side, okay? Whereas he could have came in and been introduced to, you know, almost our opposite to where he, he may have came in and just said, man, I don't know, this is a bunch of freaking, you know, whatever. You know, these these guys are what, what media portrays them as, and I'm, I'm not really into that. I mean, that could have happened easily, no question. Um, for me, I've just got to the point where, honestly, I don't, and I'm, I don't know, I feel like I've never wanted to be bigger than I am, so I'm not like, I'm not fighting for it to the point where it doesn't, I don't feel like I'm fighting for it to where it become where it comes off authentic. I give authentic information that is relevant to who I am and what I'm passionate about, and I want people to associate with me or follow me or theoretically just come along for this ride with me that are passionate about the same things. And I don't go outside of that freaking network, man. I mean, I don't, I, I still, I'll still do a podcast and I'll have someone that'll come on and say, man, I shot with you at an ASA tournament 20 years ago and just loved it on that target. And I've still been following you since. I mean, those are the people, those are the only people I care about in this ride because that's what I believe in and that's what I'm passionate about myself. I don't, I don't try to go outside of that. So I don't know. It's hard. There's, there's certain people that aren't wired that way and obviously they can come into this thing and they can create, you know, they can instantly, they can instantly I don't know. I, I mean, I always try to, I always try to approach things that I say thinking about, okay, I don't want to hurt someone else's feelings, even people I don't know. Um, but to go back a little bit, when I was still working at Matthews, I remember, uh, which is a large archery company, for those of you listening who aren't like in the archery, um, Matthews was a, was a very large archery company at the time. We were number one in bow hunting for, you know, for sales. We were Inc. 500 company twice since when I was there. And I remember one time, um, and back then, you know, social media wasn't out. Dude, we got, like, you would open envelopes 
and people would have pictures, like their pictures of animals they shot. And you would go through pictures, which you were the same when you were an editor. You would go through pictures of stuff people shot and then decide what goes in your catalog. And sometimes we'd open an envelope and it would be a guy that would have one elk and one muley. And you'd be like, oh, he had a pretty good year. And then you open the next envelope and here's a guy that has an elk, a muley, a bighorn, a turkey, 40 hogs, like all this stuff. And I remember one time uh, my boss at the time, Joel Maxfield, um, which I'm sure you probably know Joel, um, he said, you know, really, to make a name for yourself in the hunting industry, all you need is time and money. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that is 100%. Like, if you want to if you want to shoot a Grand Slam, you need time and money. If you want to shoot a Grand Slam and sheep, you need time and money. But there's a, there's a few guys that, like, fall between those lines that are just absolutely hardcore, passionate guys that are just engulfed in it. I mean, guys like Remy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these are guys that literally, their, their time is 100% all of their time of their life has been dedicated to hunting. They've been out, they've literally left their jobs because they wanted to be out the entire elk season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Remy told me recently, Remy Warren, that he there's years past that he hunted 300 days a year. I mean, between guiding and, and personal trips, 300 days a year. And yeah, I'm sure I'm I sure know. you've hit close to that before. I know, I know. Oh. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't say that. I mean, I, I can't I can't say that. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, 
so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Yeah, I, I would say there's certainly days where I've I've trained and I've trained and and practiced and prepared for that. But to be out there for that, I mean, there's guys like that that 100% have just the the perfect voice for the industry. But those guys are not the ones that are looking for attention. Yeah. Those aren't the ones that are trying to be the next social media guy. So, you know, that's what gets really tough is, you know, when you kind of ask the questions of, you know, what does social media changed or what does, you know, how many of your followers are, you know, truly following what you're doing? Man, it's. For me, I'm happy. With, I'm 100% content with where I'm at, but there is there are two very, very clear paths that are being taken by mainstream hunters, and they're you know I don't I don't want to put myself necessarily in the same category as Remy because Remy and I are different, but. I, I think it would be safe to say that Remy and I don't care what mainstream thinks just as much as we want to, to at least voice our heartfelt opinion on it. Yeah. I guess, I don't know if, that's, if you no. understand what I'm saying. No, that makes sense. I mean, it goes back to the point you made about how do you determine who's an expert hunter or how do you determine who's a voice to be listened to or how do you determine who is, you know, the term that we use in marketing all the time, who is an influencer? Um, because what, what type of influence are you looking for? Uh, what type of person um, are you after? And I think that's what drew me to you first, just because, I, you know, you could definitely see from listening to your podcast or from 
um, following you on social that there's a depth of knowledge there that just isn't there with anyone else that I've ever experienced or met. So yeah, that that's the ultimate question, right? Like how do you in a in a pursuit like hunting that's a democracy, anyone can do it as long as they do it legally and have a license and have some level of skill to to get it done. Anyone can do it, which means anyone like you said with time and money could could be um ab- over and above everyone else if you track success based on how many species you've killed or how many animals you've killed or how many inches of bone you've collected over the years. I mean, that's the that's the question, right? I mean, because you've killed every species on the planet, does that make you a better hunter than than John Dudley who just hunts in Iowa every year or or Remy Warren who maybe sticks home in Nevada? I mean, what is to you what's the qualifier? How would you qualify that? An even tougher question, I think. I'm going to say something. I don't even think I've told you even as a friend this, but a few years ago, and I won't say who it was, but a few years ago, I had a sponsor of mine that, in a phone call, compared me to another person within our industry that also hunts and also shoots. And they made the comparison to me, and I remember them saying, like, you know, do you really put yourself on their level? I mean, they said you know, right now they're going for the Grand Slam. I mean, are you even doing that? And what was so strange about the conversation is, at the beginning of the conversation, the conversation started about what it would cost to sponsor my show when it was on network. And so during that conversation, somehow it got moved over to, well, you can't be worth that much because this person is going out and doing a grand slam. You're not even doing that. And I remember I said, dude, do you realize that the extra sponsorship money that they ask for is because they're doing that? Like, would you rather pay less for someone that is literally doing what's what they're passionate about and what I feel personally is good for the industry or are you going to pay the person that is literally their investment is I am going to be the next person to do a grand slam. I mean, it was this, it was just this most awkward conversation and it was at that moment I realized this person is not the, not a fit for me like this. I don't care even if they're offering me something. I'm not going to go anywhere with this conversation because if you're comparing me to someone that's going to go on a $50,000 sheep hunt, I cannot, like, that's not on my map. I've got a kid that's getting ready to go on, getting ready to go to college. You know, if I think of 50 grand, I'm thinking that's two years of college. And I'm not thinking, do I want to go shoot sheep? But yet, you're comparing me to someone that is going to be getting a, a super slam versus someone that's literally trying to just get by and, and educate. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it is a, it is a very weird thing that our industry's in. We don't want to make it about killing, but yet we do. Yeah. Right. Great point. I mean, it's, am I right? It's Great a point. weird paradox. Yeah. It's yeah. like, 
well, we don't want to make it about killing, but what'd you kill this year? Like, how much have you really killed? <laughs> That's great. And, yeah. and honestly, that, this is the part I haven't told you. So since then, a lot of my, um, a lot of my antlers that I've had in the house, I've actually been, I've been having them cut up to just to make bow grips for my followers. Because it was at that moment where I'm like, you know what, if all this crap sitting around in here is coming down to this, I don't want to look at it. That's powerful that, that you were so changed by those interactions that you felt like, you know, the, the tokens of hunting in your house had to go away because you didn't want to feel like, you know, maybe you were, you were cheating the experience like some other people do. I mean, I think that's crazy to me. And, and the other point you made that it's, I feel like is elevated is that like some of the animals you you happen to live in Iowa um where whitetail hunting is if you're a resident it's pretty inclusive if you have property and you can buy a hunting license um you can go hunt whitetail deer but we have these other animals that are exclusive because of a myriad of factors like a sheep is an exclusive animal you either have to draw that tag or you have to have a lot of money to pay someone else to take you and and then go so you happen to live in an area where the white-tailed deer is this inclusive animal where everybody basically in America could go hunt them if they choose to. Someone else uses money to go and chase an exclusive animal and somehow that exclusivity draws them praise. <laughs> Whereas you put the time into your land, you have to build the property like you have out there in Iowa, um, and somehow someone who shoots a, a big ram is, is better than you at the pursuit, which is kind of silly to me. And I could see how that silliness would make you want to run from it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's a, but in the same sense, in this, in what's weird is on the same, on the same exact hand, I'm sitting there fully appreciating the amount of work that it goes in to get one of those things like if they have a tag it's not easy yeah you know it those are freaking tough hunts i mean you know when you went and shot your blue sheet i mean yeah i'm I'm never gonna go shoot a blue sheet i mean unless unless someone hears this podcast and is like well i want to shoot a blue sheet but i need john dudley to go with me well i mean (laughs) that would be the only time i would go but I'm not gonna ever shoot a blue sheep. But dude, I know, I know the amount of baby wipes you went through to shoot one. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, in in the same sense, I can appreciate. Listen, that is an earned species. I get it. But it's it's just really funny when the corporate part of the hunting industry views that as a measuring stick. Yeah. That's yeah. what gets really, really tough. And honestly, when you called me about um, about Yeti, I don't know if you remember this, but I just said, I don't know, dude, I feel like I'm totally late to this ball game. <laughs> because <laughs> I literally felt like I was the only outdoor person that was not sponsored by Yeti. Yeah. And I was truthful in the fact of, I don't know if I want to be the last person to like come on the Yeti 
party train because you know I want I would really love for people at least my followers I would love them to see me go to Yeti because I was passionate about it and not because 99% of the industry was already there yeah so that was all I mean and do you remember our conversation about that oh, like absolutely. that was Absolutely. That was more of a worry for me. I'm like, listen, I just want to make sure that my true passion and my true usage of the product is clear and transparent to the people that follow what I'm doing because I don't want to just be on a bandwagon. I want it has to be authentic for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and back to the blue sheep point, like you're 100% right in that too, and I don't. I don't want ever to come across like, hey, if you hunt a sheep, you have to be rich and have a bunch of, um, you know, time on your hands. That's not, that's not to say that the action of sheep hunting isn't isn't ridiculously tough. And anybody who shot a grand slam of anything um, has to have more ability than the average hunter, much more ability than the average hunter. So, and in that way, you earn it. Um, it's just hard when you whip out the measuring stick, like you said. That's hard. It's hard to figure that. Um, which parts do you measure? Which parts do you discount? How do you figure all that out? Um, I, you know, same way with with being sponsored by a company. Which which parts of that connection do you take in? Which parts maybe do you discount? Especially in in your situation, and and that's just a tough that's a tough road to hoe. Um, and a good issue to, to think about. I always think about that. Like if, am I a better hunter because I went and shot that blue sheep? I don't think so. No. Um, I would say you are, I would say you learn stuff there that I've never been able to experience because I've never been in that element. Yeah. Yeah. I know you'd better like better hunter in the eyes of others. You're, I can tell you you're a better hunter because you've experienced something tougher than I've ever experienced. But, but I know what you're saying at the same time too, you know? Yeah. When it comes to my reputation, like, am I, am I, do I hold that up as the reason why someone should ask me for my opinion? That's not, no, I don't at all. It was, you're put in a situation. I was lucky enough to be put in that situation. And then I was even luckier to have, you know, gutted it out and got it done. I mean, those, so it's hard to bring that back into an industry and try to shape those stories in a way that is supposed to, you know, shape me as a hunter. It's just kind of, it's just a weird echo chamber that we get in. Um, you know, would, would the grip and grin of me and that sheep somehow put on a billboard people? Oh my gosh, there's Ben O'Brien. We we should, we should really follow him and listen to what he says. He shot a blue sheep. Like, eh, maybe not. Am I better personally for it? Yeah, sure. But does it mean somebody should listen to what I have to say? No, it should be a whole package much like, you know, your whole package started when you were a young man and you went through many tournaments and many failures and many successes and you build up an expertise. And now here you are, someone with so much to share. Um, that's why it's important to be connected to brands and to your audience. Like that's why those things are, that's why those things are important. Not just that one giant buck you killed, but the totality of what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. You, I've got two questions for you. Mm. Can I do that? Yeah, please, please. Can I, can I spin the table? Spin. One thing that I struggle with is when I'm at these shows, people come up to me and 
and they're super passionate because they're trying to get into the industry or they're, you know, they've got this vision of what they want to do. And they come up to you and they're like, hey, check this out. We're starting, you know, such and such. And it just, it gets really hard to listen to, I don't know if I'm saying this the right way, but it gets really hard to to listen to everybody's idea when they're trying to kind of make a pitch for how to get their leg in the industry when a lot of times it's clear at the very get-go that the way that they're trying to come in, it really isn't from, it really isn't because they're wanting to get in it, you know, they're not wanting to come in to help grow things, they're wanting to come in because they're really wanting to just you know, they're wanting to create their own image, and it's sometimes it's hard because, you know, I I feel almost guilty by shutting them out mentally almost too fast. How do you, I mean, how do you feel about that or deal with that? I mean, do you feel like, do you feel like there's a lot of people trying to get in it for the wrong reasons? Or, and I guess, how do you, what's your filter? Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, every I would say the first thing I always try to think of is I respect that they're this person is coming to me with this. Like I that to me I have to you know kind of peel away what they're saying and try to think of the angle they're coming from. Like I should be grateful that anyone walks up to me and says, you know, I'm trying to get in. How how does it happen or I'm trying to get in? Can you help me get in or can I earn your um, in the case of me, marketing dollars, in the case of you, just advice. So that's the first thing I try to think of. And man, I slip on that all the time. Like you said, when somebody's talking and I know that, you know, they're not coming from the angle that I appreciate, or maybe that they're a little bit misled. I always, I catch myself always just shutting it off and just going through the motions like, yeah, yeah, yeah here's a card for someone else to talk to. <laughs> like, try to be encouraging, but just get them out of your face. I think that's probably only natural just because the amount of, of that that you see and that I see just in my in my career. Um, I think that's only natural. But I, I would say this year at the ATA show, I was really surprised at the number of people that were looking for instant fame that were looking for or had had believed that they'd garnered it just based on the amount of people that were following them or the other companies that were supporting them and weren't there to tell me their story, you know, how they got to the point where they are and where they want to go and how they hope to get there because I think those are the three key points. Um, They had lost the ability just to tell their own story and be passionate about that story. Um, They were just telling me what they thought I needed to hear to give them money, um, Yeti's money uh, as it goes. So I think maybe that's there's a little bit of a distortion from those, from some people in the industry that like you can, how do I become an influencer rather than how do I tell my story? Then maybe one day I will become an influencer. Maybe if I tell my story the right way and, and people watch me grow and watch me learn and fail and succeed and, and they, they do that via social media, then one day I'll be in a position where I can be an influencer. Whereas, like, how can I get a bunch of followers and have some sock company give me money for wearing their socks and, put, <laughs> and putting putting my feed on Instagram, which I saw recently. Um, 
there's a there's a an unnamed sock company that is sponsoring <laughs> social media influencers and and putting people are putting their feet on the internet. <laughs> it's a bad trend, man. It's a bad trend. Man, I posted a picture of my feet one time after my Alberta hunt, and some people, their comments made me never want to post that picture again. They're yeah. like, so help yeah. God, I think yeah. I may cancel social media just to never see a picture like this again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I don't know. I'm not sure that I know the answer to that question, other than that I first try to appreciate what, where the person is coming from and connect with them in some way having you know there was somebody in my life who heard my um story and absolutely connected with it and and listened so i try to do that but then also at the same time um you know time is valuable so people need to understand that and they need to understand that you really gotta think hard before you broach a conversation like that especially in a trade show environment but I would, you can encourage everybody to go for whatever their dreams are, but. Well, that's a, that's a really good perspective. I mean, I, did, I guess I never looked at it from that way. I should, I definitely like the idea of, you know, trying to step back and saying, okay, well, this person's asked me because it's of importance to them, which I think is very, very, probably the most important part of that. Um, but, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if I'm being totally transparent about our conversation. Some of the, all this stuff that we're talking about is related because sometimes when I'm talking about things or even when I'm having conversations about people, sometimes I'm worried if I'm coming off as that person to where they're just you know, I'm, I'm always, like, conscious of, okay, am I being looked at as this person that's, like, trying to make it in the industry? Because, I mean, I do, even though some people say I've made it in the industry, in, in my mind, I'm still just like everyone else. I'm no, I mean, I feel like I'm no different than you. I don't feel like I'm a Joe Rogan. I feel like I'm no different than you. I feel like I'm no different than Remy. I feel like we're walking around that show and you know, we're all still trying to, you know, to, to try to voice our opinion on what we feel like is, is good for the industry or good for the, you know, the people out there that are hunting or shooting or, you know, I feel like I still have, I'm still trying to like get my message out about what I feel like people should do to, to overcome target panic or things like that. I don't, I don't feel like, I don't know. I guess I don't see myself as being a person that is on the pedestal where I don't have to fight for that still. So sometimes when I walk around there, I, I do feel uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be put in this corner where people aren't really listening to what I'm saying. Yeah, but in well, the same sense. Think about know, how tough. think about how strange that environment is too. I was thinking about that this year, walking around ATA specifically. Like for you um, and guys like Cam and Remy and people that are you know that are influencers that are seen that way by both the public and then also um, companies, brands. 
you you live your daily life, right? You're in Iowa. You're you're working hard. You're putting out content. You're you're working on your farm. You're doing all this stuff, and that's a relatively normal life. Like your outlet to the world is social media, and that's great. I mean, that's that's a great way, a great prism for people to see you in. But then when you walk into this giant exhibit hall with ten foot tall pictures of the same people that you just think are your friends. And, and, you know, billboards with people's faces on them that you just like to hang out with and have a beer and signings with lines down the block for somebody who you just, you know, worked out with a couple hours ago. Like it just, it becomes this weird feeling of there's me just in my normal life. And then there's like an influencer me that has to be a certain way. And I'm sure that's weird for you. I mean, it doesn't happen to me. And I would be weird for me. So I'm sure when you see yourself as just a normal guy fighting to, to tell people this your own story and the things you you care about, then you walk into a room and you're being, you know, you're being put up as an icon in some way. That's weird. Because in that room, every booth has a giant billboards with dudes' faces on it and, and ladies too. And you become something I think maybe a little bit different than than what – you know how you see yourself is that is that right or am i just talking bullshit no you're right but it is (laughs) you're not exempt and i'll say that because you know when i was when i was in control of a big marketing budget and when i was you know international sales and marketing manager at matthews you have the same, you're, you're still on, you know, you're still that guy, just kind of at a different position. Instead of everyone wanting to come to you for maybe signing an 8x10, everybody's coming to you to try to sign an 8x11 contract. <laughs> That's the truth. Um. I mean... You're different, right? I mean, yeah. it's the same. Yeah. People are coming up to you like, you know, say we were at that table. People may come up and say, hey, Adam, I want your autograph, you know, to Green Street. But someone could easily come up to you with an iPad and say, hey, Ben, do you think you could check out this new pilot we did? Yeah. It's just, it's just different. It's just on a different level, but it's the same. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I never thought about that like that. But yeah, I mean, you get attention for different reasons. And really, what like what is this conversation we're having about other than attention? You know, who who's earned it? Who hasn't earned it? How do you gauge that? Is there rules to you know to kind of make sure the folks that are getting the bulk of the attention are doing it for the right reasons? Um, and I struggle with that personally. Like you know, sometimes I feel like if I if I shut off social media right now would i get the same type of experience when i was hunting if i knew no one would see it unless i spoke to them personally like i'm not sure the way my brain has been trained here recently that i would get the same enjoyment out of it i'm not sure if not being able to share that with a big massive amount of people um would feel the same for me and that's pretty scary (laughs) like i think i've been trained a little bit how dare you? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe that the, the idea that if I shot this animal... I don't know. Only my friends. You know, what, friend. I was, what I found is when I'm on... When 
when I'm on experiences with true friends, which to me translate into hunts that were authentic to when I was hunting with family or friends. Um, now, there's been times where, for example, last year when you and I were in Lanai, UA asked me to take over their Instagram, right? Yeah. So I did. But there's been other opportunities. I mean, were you and I posting all the time when you and I were hunting it together here in Iowa? No. Did we do what our job required of us later? Yes. When I was just in Oklahoma hunting with Andy and Torsten, I mean, dude, I was off the map to everyone else. And the reason was because I was truly enjoying hunting to the core of what hunting is to me. I can tell you that I do social media out of obligation to two people. One, one person is my sponsors because I have to. And the second is to my followers because I appreciate them. If it came back to me, like, there is no way I would be on there. Yeah. Like, when, when Joe and I hog hunted together a year ago in California, I mean, I have hundreds of pictures from our hunt that, to me, those are things that I look at when I'm really wanting to enjoy a moment with a friend. And I think we got to, man, we got to freaking keep that alive. Like, we have to keep these moments to where they're truly special to the ones that we're closest to. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, when some of this stuff is, when some of this stuff goes to everybody, it's hard to say that there's true importance to it. Yeah. And that's how I am with, you know, I've, I've been that It's It's hard for me when I'm on a hunt where I'm really loving it to, and I'm with people that I really care about, and I'm like enjoying conversation and really engulfed in a memory. It's hard for me to want to put that on pause to to capture to someone that's not in the moment. Yeah. I mean, that, that gets hard for me. Yeah, and well, maybe that's weird. Maybe 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 I'm the weird guy. No, we're both weird. But I think probably most people listening would say, "Oh, a couple of guys that get to hunt all over, and oh, you're heartbroken about whether you should post or not. Screw you." <laughs> I could see that being a thought, but I think what you're saying is relevant to anyone that wants to share their story in whatever venue they want to share it. Like how much of it is, how much of what you're doing is about the end result and, and what it looks like to everyone else and how much of it is about how it feels to you and how much personal reward you get from it. I mean, I talked in the last, uh, to our boy, Aubrey Marcus last, uh, podcast and you made a short guest appearance, which I appreciate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and 
we talked about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation from a guy named Johan Hari that I heard on Rogan's podcast. And that was the same exact conversation we were having right now. Like intrinsic being, you know, you're, you're personally rewarded by an activity and you kind of lose time in, in doing it. And you're not worried about anyone else or what they might think or how, how you might be rewarded. And then that extrinsic piece is you're doing something and you're always worrying about the reward at the end of the time, at the end of the day, you're always worrying about what everybody might think or how you can tell everyone about what you're doing. And you lose some part of the intrinsic value and, and going and doing the thing, whatever the thing might be. So it seems like that's a common thread in everybody I'm talking to, maybe because I always bring it up, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) it's interesting to me. That's an interesting subject of, of the motivations. And then, I mean, do you remember a time before, you were a professional um, in the hunting space where you like the last, you know, maybe the last vestiges of, of prior to social media or prior to your TV show when you were just hunting for yourself. And, you know, I know you also were competing in archery tournaments and you were driven to just go hunt more than you were to be a professional um, target archer. I mean, that, I think that, that story in and of itself could probably inform this. Oh yeah. Well, I like to compete. I mean, at first I wanted to compete because I was competitive. But the reality is it didn't take very long for me to realize that. I kind of realized that after I won, when I won my first national championship, I was so excited about it. I got this trophy and brought it home. And then... You know, nine months later, I could barely read the name on the on this big freaking mug because it was just black with tarnish. So I had to clean it up and, you know, polish it, all that stuff. And then I remember the next year someone was said something like, oh, hey, who won this last year? You know, we were in a tournament, and someone else won it, and I was sitting there, but meanwhile, while I was watching someone else win it, I, I, someone said, well, who, who won this last year? And I, I had to have the conversation, oh, I won it last year, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, well, cool. And, uh, and then I realized, wait a minute, the reason people are walking, off, walking around with, like, their shirt that says Billy Bob national champion it's not like it's it's not because they earned the title it's because no one remembers that the next year they're trying to like remind everybody (laughs) so i just got to the point where i'm like you know this stuff unless it means something to you it doesn't mean anything to anyone else yeah that's a great point so what means something to me is going on a hunt that's what means something to me. Not going to a tournament. I went to a tournament so that when I went to a hunt, I was going to get something. Yeah. That's the truth. So, you know, when, for the longest time, I never posted, I never posted, posted my accomplishments on, like, my website or anything. People got to the point where they're like, hey, do you have a bio or something? I mean, we're trying to write about this, and we kind of know you've done some stuff, but none of that's out there. And it's like, well, I guess I need to put it out there. 
But in the same sense, I competed to be a better bow hunter. Yeah. I didn't, because I realized pretty quick that when you compete, you know, well, tell me this. Do you know who Randy Ulmer is? Of course. What is What title does he want as an archer? Don't know. Badass. That's the only one I know. <laughs> See? That's my point. So, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, a. that's another tough thing. You know, nowadays, imagine social media and competition, you can instantly be a world champion, and you can run, you can freaking run the whole finish line with that, but the reality is, what does it really mean? That's what gets tough. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know, super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. 
Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. No, you're right. I mean, that's it's all it's trying to figure out. I like what you said. I was thinking like, that's like Nolan Ryan saying, yeah, man, I, only, I was only a baseball player so I could throw rocks at deer. I wanted to get, I wanted to get, I wanted to get better at throwing those rocks. That kind, I kind of do too. I think you would probably have some good effect. Oh, well, we I never like do. That's not legal. Um, well, hey, I told you I had two questions for you. So oh, yeah. got to my second one. Go for it. So my second one is: you made a post one time, which it's still, and I haven't even talked to you about this, which I think is what's cool about the podcast is it's authentic. So you made a podcast specifically about trophy photos. Do you remember it? I do remember it, yeah. There's no way I can forget it now that I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, do you you want to talk about it? Sure. Uh, For those that don't know, I mean, there's a a Gritty Bowman podcast that we did talking about it, but I basically, um, I just watched the film trophy that just came out the CNN documentary. And I just talked to a bunch of people and, and I just started thinking about the history of hunting and kind of my own history in it and where the trophy thing came from. And I was started thinking about the history of trophy photos or grip and grins or whatever. And then I started thinking like why I do it and, um, how weird it probably looks to other people that we like, dump water to get the blood off and stick their tongues back in their mouths and drag them off to a nice vista and take a photo. And I said, just for myself, I think that this trophy photo is wrapped up in a lot of negativity for a lot of people for whatever reason, Um, likely because when we flipped the switch to social media, people started to see these little trading cards almost that that people used to just hand each other. You know, you were, I'm sure you were many, many years at trade shows with your, with like a binder full of photos, right? Like trophy photos that used to, that used to be the thing, right? You had to walk around and show people, this is what I did last year. Yeah, that was, that was the thing, right? So we took those binders of photos and we started uploading them to the damn internet and people started to see them and no one understood what that was. That was like a, like a special little language we had with each other that had become important over the years. And then it started getting uploaded. I think regular folks looked at that and saw the message, a negative message, like this person is happy to and celebrating to have taken this life and look how they're demonstrating it. So suffice to say, I could talk forever, but suffice to say, I just posted that, look, I think for my own mind, I'm going to take that image that has been a little bit negative for a lot of people and and change that in my own activities and, and try to put out an image that respects the animal totally, however that might look in a you know, certain instance. I'm not going to completely stage every photo I take when I kill an animal, but I am going to make sure whenever we do that that it, I feel like it shows respect. And I feel like everybody should do that too. And <laughs> I think that's or something like that, something to that effect. That's probably where I was wrong. Everybody can 
can do what they want to do. What the hell do I know? But I put a poll up and I lost. <laughs> I lost like eighty-four to sixteen percent with should hunters not not uh, do gripping grins anymore. But I was still happy to have started the conversation, and I've gotten a lot of uh, people just you know wagging their finger at me and saying you know how dare you? And maybe I maybe I should have worded it differently. But I just at the moment in that moment thinking the way I was, I thought I really want to just say this outright and not hedge on it and not um and not hedge what my ideas are and it's quite garnered a quite a lot of uh commentary cool it means it's an opportunity i mean obviously now someone that's i mean i'm authentic and asking the question because for me i took pictures when I started taking pictures of my animals, I took pictures with 35 millimeters. There was no iPhones. You didn't see what the picture was. You didn't know if the exposure was right. There was no Photoshop. I mean, I took pictures and I took rolls of photos for one animal, took them to Walmart, paid for the one hour photo, just to hope that one photo was good. And like, you know, something that I would have with me for all the time. So from that aspect, I can, I disagreed with you, but on the other hand, there's a lot of photos that go out on social media that people are ignorant and not expecting people to disagree with yeah so i just i actually voted that i mean and i don't think i even told you this but i i voted against the non-gripping grant because for me my pictures and rolls and rolls and rolls of film that i took to try to get one photo, which I saved and I have downstairs, you know, and kind of in my safe of, oh yeah, here's a photo I shot back in the 90s. Um, I'm proud of that. Like, Mm -hmm. at that time, I couldn't even afford, I couldn't afford to mount things. So my photo, literally that was my mount. Like, that was, that was my trophy. I couldn't, you know, and and truthfully, a lot of the stuff that I shot years ago, I don't even know, you know, they've just been lost and moving or broken or whatever, but I still have photos. So I was passionate about, I don't agree with not having the grip and grin, but I also know that when... I was sitting there selecting photos for a catalog back again when you open up an envelope and you look at photos and you're like, oh, what what photos should we put in the catalog? You weren't like looking at someone's social media saying, oh, these guys have 250,000 followers. They need to be in our catalog. You were just saying, who's got a good photo? And you would look and be like, holy crap, this guy, um, do you remember Lon? Oh, I'm yeah. I'm trying to think of his last name. Oh, uh, 
Damn it, don't do this to me. This is going to be like that time you, you and Rogan argued about. <laughs> you're going to get hung for not knowing his name. <laughs> no. You know what I'm talking about. I do. This would be about the time we were in Lanai and recorded a Rogan podcast, and you guys were arguing about the name of a fighter for like three hours. <laughs> I know. And I actually had to track him down and be like, did I watch you fight? And he's like, <laughs> no, you didn't. Not there, you didn't. And I was like, okay, thanks. Leslie um, Walls. Well, yeah, so... There were people that were that were like really good photographers. So you were you were like or at least me, I was I was trying to make a photo to where if that person looked at it they'd be like, Wow, that's a very respectful, nice photo of their deer. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden you'd get someone that shot a two hundred and forty inch buck in Iowa and it would be, you know, tongue hanging out, blood drooling out of its nostrils and he's back in you know in the back of a Ford pickup truck with you know a bunch of like moldy Bud Light uh, (laughs) (laughs) boxes in the background and they're like okay this is a ridiculously cool buck but obviously it's tongues hanging out and there's blood hanging out and there's like bunch of beer cans in the back of this guy's car he shouldn't be drinking and driving and you know yeah thanks for the photo but no we can't put it in our catalog (laughs) um from that aspect you're right you know if if that is some people's grip and grin it's it doesn't represent us well yeah well i would just the other thing i was coming to is that and talked about it on the Gritty Bowman podcast is like I you know I work at Yeti and I live in a town that's you know decidedly even though it's in Texas it's decidedly urban and there's a lot of folks that don't go outside um too much and do what we do and so I live in a in a space where um I've had this conversation all week this week uh, at work but you know it's just trying to introduce people to the idea of hunting not not the particular points and the little um, micro arguments we have inside of hunting. I'm talking just the general idea of what the hell we're out there doing. Um, and so I always link that idea back to in journalism school when I went from what I remember between, uh, trips to the bar and, and such, it was, it was always, it was always like, Hey, know your audience. That's the first rule of journalism. Know your audience. Know who you're speaking to. Um, know who might see the thing you're doing. So in the case that, that you bring up of like a Matthews catalog, you know who your audience is. You know where that thing's going to end up. Um, and so you and you can post grip and grins and something like that, I would say. Like I'm okay in that venue when everybody understands what a grip and grin is. Every hunter understands it's not disrespect, it's respect. Um, I'm okay with a grip and grin. If you were just showing it to me or me showing it to you, the issue I have when it when you put it online is that it then you're maybe not 100% clear of who your audience really is. Um, even though you have a certain set of followers, it's pretty much open. Uh, I open. think it's fair to say you don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you I don't know. I think it's 100% know. fair to say you freaking have no clue. Yep. I mean, look, look at the people we've met. Through social media. Oh, absolutely. Joe Rogan. Yeah. Perfect. We don't have any freak. So, okay, let's just stop there. We have no idea who's seeing our shit, right? We have no idea. Yeah. 
I mean, there's ways you can mitigate it and like have a private thing and a private profile and and maybe, but maybe, we don't. But you don't. So we have no idea. Yeah. So in my most case, people, and most people don't. I would say for okay, you too. How about Tor- how about Torsten? Yeah. We have no idea. No idea. And so, would, for- would I ever would I ever imagine that I make a post about buying my kid a freaking ninety dollar vinyl record player at a guitar center for his birthday and buying him one Led Zeppelin uh, record and posting about it. And then next thing I know, the freaking one of the head honchos at uh, Atlantic Records is freaking sending me a, a package in the mail. Yeah. Because he, because he sees that I'm passionate about vinyl. Yeah. And Torsten is the no greatest. We have no idea. Yeah. We really have no idea. And so that's my general that's argument. That's a fair statement. If journalism in the decorum works here, if you say like, hey, look, you don't know on social media, you don't know who your audience really is. Suffice to say you can't control it if you think if you think uh, that's wrong. Then in that environment, it makes sense to kind of not completely censor yourself and, and somebody to take a hard left turn at this conversation. Somebody commented to me like, well, we live in this snowflake society where the Me Too movement tells us what we have to do and I'm not going to bend to anybody. Like, yeah, I get you. (laughs) But like, let's meet meet somewhere in the middle. Let's not change everything we do for everyone or nothing we do for no one. Let's in the middle somewhere say like, because we don't know who's looking at this, let's change it up a little bit to take away the things that someone might view as negative. Because the grip and grin thing's not so important to me that I have to have it. You know, I could give up parts of that and still get the same experience of hunting as I as I would otherwise. I don't losing anything. Uh, and so, I don't know. Maybe I'm convincing you. Maybe not. But I, I think that's just been my own personal slant on it. And I think we're we're pretty quick. We're pretty slow to change. We're we're pretty quick in the hunting industry in the hunting world to kind of deny change as it's staring us in the face and i think in this case it's it's nice to have the conversation whether it's the right or wrong thing to do well in like i don't even know when it was it was the late 90s i was in the softball tournament sparta wisconsin small community we're sitting there we're we're in the we're in the championship of this baseball tournament and I'm playing baseball for Matthews, who was a business in our community. And we're playing against this other team. And it's for all the marbles. It's, you know, we're, we're in this championship deal. So I freaking crushed, <laughs> crushed this softball into, like, left field. The left center outfielder and the left fielder they're both running for this ball and they're both just like so focused on catching this ball so i can be out they just freaking i'm talking cranium to cranium just boom they freaking run into one another and they're both laying out on the sidelines well here's the owner of our company matt mcpherson he had never he had never went to another softball game ever but he knew Matthews was in the finals. We're in the championship. So Matt came. He's in he's in the stands. And here's Matt 
you know, devout Christian, loves people, all about the community, and here's two guys that run for a ball that was hit by a Matthews employee, and these guys freaking are both cold-cocked, laying on the side of the freaking side-by-side. They're literally laying side-by-side, the ball's there. Like, I could have ran for a home run, but everybody just stopped. Like, oh, my God, are these guys dead? So Matt (laughs) runs out to outfield from the stands, and he's sitting there. And knowing Matt, he's, like, willing to, can I pay for your freaking hospital bills? Oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. This never would have happened if Matthews wouldn't have been playing you guys in the finals, right? Like, this is... I know Matt well enough to know this is his mentality. So the guy comes to you and Matt's like, oh my God, are you okay? He's like, hey buddy, are you all right? Are you all right? And the guy's just like, oh, he just drops the biggest F-bomb ever. And you could just tell Matt being who he is. He just instantly switched off. He went from being someone that would freaking help you or your family or anything because of this catastrophe to like, okay, he's turned off. And the same is true, you know, if we go into a meeting with our bosses and we talk like we're at a frat party or if we talk like we're at a night out with a bunch of pirates, you you just... Your voice does not get heard. It's looked at from a completely different point of view. Yeah. So, why do people feel like it's not the same for hunting? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. If you don't attack something from a professional point of view, you're not ever going to get your opinion heard. I mean, you can... You can be someone that is at the top of your food chain, but as soon as you start speaking at a very, very unprofessional level, no matter what your credibility is, it's degraded. That's reality. Yeah. No, you're right. So with hunting, our opinions and our stance as hunters and what, you know, I saw a picture from the hunting community. I saw this on Facebook. I actually screenshotted it because I couldn't even believe it. But someone took a picture of their car with, like, a bunch of dead deer that were frozen in a position, that, and they, like, staged them all to look like Santa's sleigh. Mm. And it's like... How can you, I I mean, I understand the fact you're like, it's a free world, I can do what I want. But how do you think that anything you fight for is ever going to be accepted if that's the way that you attack it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reality. And that's, it just boils down to tact. Tact 101. Yeah. Right? For sure. And then you, you kind of hit, the nail on the head there it's at, at some level and it's it's you see what happened in british columbia with the ban on grizzly bear hunting i mean it, it it was based on popular opinion so you're we all love something that is not 
given wasn't given as to us by right. I mean, it, it is in the modern sense a privilege. You know, it, it sure we have this heritage with it going back millions of years, and it, it's connected to our humanity. But in the modern sense, it's really a different. It's a different ball game, and we can lose whatever whatever we think hunting is if we don't um, present it in the right way to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world is looking at us thing, basically asking the, the single question, is this thing good for us and for animals? Is it good? Continue to convince me as society changes and as we change as humans, they're, they're going to keep asking that question. We got to keep answering it. Um, as technology changes, as we change, as, as you know, the carrying capacity of lands change or conservation principles change. Like we have to continue to answer that question. And if we, if we answer it wrong enough times, they're just going to take it away. And, and as evidence in, in British Columbia. So it's a whole, I don't of, even think we have to answer it wrong. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I legitimately think it's a matter of when someone moves into a position that gets enough I guess gets enough pressure for one side to change something it'll change it doesn't even matter if we do it wrong yeah that's the reality so as hunters I can tell you that well I can tell you this from from my point of view when people make posts when people make a post on things that I have, I actually make a a decision on, is this a person to where I can oppose their opinion and they're going to look at it objectively? Or is this a person to where no matter what I say, it doesn't matter? So a lot of times, and I'm sure this is the case in life, you have the ability now to research someone before you reply to them. And if every single thing you ever do is just stick it to the man, then most likely your ability to have a voice has gone away. Your ability to oppose is meaningless. You know, if, if everything you've done is just, you know, trolling, 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 negative, being a dick, always voicing that, then what happens is when it really matters, it's like crying wolf. What happens is when it really matters and you say, you know, this is what I want to do, they're like, whoa, this is what you've always done. We don't like that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's tricky because as hunters and outdoorsmen and, and passionate passionate conservationists if we take the high road then what will happen is when we truly have to fight for something that matters we'll have a voice but if you burn that man we're not going to have it yeah yeah and I think that this conversation is like it's never ending because all the things and that you do when you're hunting all the little rituals we have and traditions we have and things we think are normal that maybe um to the rest of the world might not be i mean those are all important 
like all the complexities of hunting are important to the grander scheme of it. So you, it's not like you can you can change the way you take grip and grin photos, but then at the same time, you know, also shoot off the hood of your truck, <laughs> or at this like at the same time, also just forget about conservation and its principles and not learn anything about our system of of um, or our model of of wildlife in this country. So it's like you hunting kind of asks a lot of you. You know, it asks a ton of you, both in knowledge and skill, but also in just to be able to deduce what's good for the grander um, platform, which that's freaking hard, man. <laughs> like, there's no way. A lot of people just want to go out and get some meat or go out and have a good time, and and um, asking them all to take part in that to that extent can be tough. But I think just having the conversation and you being willing to talk about it in this way rather than just me and you bullshitting, drinking beers, talking about whatever, I appreciate because it's, I mean, somebody might listen to this and come out with just a slightly different perspective or, or just one of the things we've said is helpful to them. Then great, man. Hell yeah. Cause that's what, that's what helped me become a better hunter. Listening to guys like you and listening to guys like Renella and Remy Warren talk about their experiences and the shit that made me better. Made me way, way better. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, dude. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, that's a good place to end it. I think uh, we're done now until, what would you say, the end of April when we're going somewhere real special. You want to break the news to everybody where we're, we're going and who's coming with? Yep. Just so everyone out there knows, come April, the end of April, um, I would say the most, whew, I don't know, I don't even know how to say it. It's the most unbelievable band of brotherhood and I don't even know. I don't, we don't even have a name for ourselves. <laughs> but <laughs> we need. Let's not name ourselves because then it starts to get gang. real douchey. We're practically a gang, dude. <laughs> the rat pack. I don't pack. want to put a negative vibe on it. But literally, Lanai is going to be taken over by me, Ben, Sam Sohol, Shane Dorian. Remy Warren, Adam Greentree, Joe Rogan, Cam Haynes. Who yeah. do I leave out? I think that's it. <laughs> I feel like you had a lot of momentum to keep going. With guest appearances by Kimmy Greentree and Shazzy Fresh. Oh, Deadly. shit. <laughs> that's a large, large crew. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on there, but I will say that... Um, What's cool about that and where we're going at the end of April is that you know we start planning these trips and you're like, man, we, we can't go without Green Tree. Shit, we can't go without Remy. Man, we can't go without Cam. Man, we can't go without Rogan. Ah, we can't go without Dudley. And it just becomes this awesome group of people that are all passionate about the same thing and all just want to hang, man. Like you gotta have you gotta have everybody. So this is the first time we've been able to like assemble the entire dream team of uh, of people that like to go hunting. I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be dynamite. Well, we'll we'll certainly talk more about that in the days to come. But thanks for um, talking to me, John Dudley. 
Oh, yeah, brother. Appreciate it. Until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's the end. That's the end of episode number four. Thank you so much to John Dudley, man from Knock On, one of my favorite people in the industry. Appreciate him having that conversation with me. And really took a lot away from it. I really took away uh, an inside take from the mind of somebody that's influential in our circles and, and cares about that influence and, and really wants it to be authentic and wants to drive it in the right way. I appreciate John for that. He's a great dude. If you want to hear any of the other podcasts we've put out thus far, go to iTunes or Stitcher or thehuntingcollective.com where you can hear from Steve Ranella of Meat Eater. You can hear from Brian Callahan of First Light. You can hear from Aubrey Marcus, CEO of Onnit, and this continued conversation that we call The Hunting Collective. Very much appreciated as always. You can follow me at, at BennyOB301. Come check us out on Instagram. That's really where all the conversation's happening. Just want to say I appreciate everybody who writes in, who's commented, who's emailed. We're going to do a whole show here coming soon just with the email thoughts and and commentary because you guys are all part of this conversation that we're having. And I appreciate every comment, good and bad. Please keep them coming. I'd like to also thank our sponsors. There aren't any. But if you're listening and you want to sponsor, let me know. Because we're poor. Come on. Anyway, that's it for today. Much appreciated to all of you. Love you. Bye. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made, innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business.